I'm Mike Vardy. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the 
Productivity's podcast. I am Mike Vardy, and with me this week is Dr. Loretta Brunning. She is the founder of the Inner Mammal Institute, uh, and, and she's an author of several books. And we got to really talk about science and neuroscience and the science of, of happiness and even unhappiness and, and the different chemicals in your brain that really kind of help help you uh, kind of function and, and how you can fix certain things if you want or change or alter or redefine or rewire your brain. I mean, I, I, I love talking about this stuff because, especially with somebody who knows so much about it, because this is just something I'm scratching the surface on. And so in this uh, conversation that takes place over the next you know 30 minutes or so, you're going to get a sense of uh, what you can do when you are happy and also when you are unhappy and, and how distractions work and all that stuff backed by science, backed by, you know, and backed by the what we do with, as mammals, like the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom comes up a lot in this episode. Uh, and and I'm, I'm really excited to bring it to you. So here, without further ado, is my conversation with Dr. Loretta Brunning here on the Productivity is Podcast. Enjoy. So... A lot of people, they try to do stuff to make them, like they want to constantly be in the state of happiness, right? There's this there's this idea that, uh, and I mean, this has been talked about in other books. And I mean, I don't think they say you must always be happy, but the, the crux of the way the books are positioned, like Sean Acor's The Happiness Advantage, uh, you know, uh, Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project, you know, those things, um, they tend to kind of push people in this position of, if I'm happy all the time, then I'm going to be successful so, or I'm going to have the life I want. But some of the stuff you talk about kind of counters that to a certain extent, right? Absolutely. Our happy chemicals evolved to be released in short spurts for specific, to motivate specific survival behaviors. And they only have motivational power if they turn off after they turn on so that you're back to neutral and they're ready to get your attention again. So the whole key to life, I think, is that when you go back to neutral, to not attach a sense of alarm to that. Okay, so it's that fight or flight kind of thing that happens too that we tend to get. Is that is that part of that inner mammal stuff too? You know, the idea that fight or flight is a is a is a reaction that we normally have when we come across something that strikes strikes fear in us or doesn't, for, which is far less than making us unhappy, but that kind of thing. There are two separate things that overlap significantly, and we have power over how much they overlap. Okay. So fight or flight is when you see a threat. In the animal world, a threat means some information coming in from your senses that's really there. But if you, if humans, if I waited until a lion was approaching my baby, then I'd lose some of my babies. So humans took preventive action, and that's good. So we shouldn't hate our reptile brain, but your urge to take preventive action will never stop because your survival is threatened as long as you're alive. And because we have bigger brains, we can abstract about, well, if that happens, then that happens, then that happens, and we can have infinite potential threat cues. Right. Yeah. So that's the whole unhappiness side. But then the happiness side is when I'm feeling a threat and I don't see a lion, how can I make myself feel better? So distraction is very effective. So we often have habits. Each person has their own habit to distract yourself with something that feels good. And what happens is you overuse those distractors to the point where you need more and more of them and they have consequences. How do you combat that? Because that's something that a lot of the people that I listen to 
or list or that listen to the show rather talk about you know like how do I stop distractions and one of the things that I've talked about is is when you are distracted is to not try to work by and this is more of a of a business approach but in, when you're looking at your list of things on your on your plate which is important to have because it's reference items. It gives you information. But to say, okay, let's not look, focus on this project because the project is clearly not bringing me back and forth and, the, and you're moving all over the place, whether it's you know sending an email we're getting linked to or, or, or making a phone call. But I say to look at your modes. Look at, look at the, okay, what can I do now that's email related? Let, let's look at all the emails and get back into that state of flow through a mode-based approach of like, okay, I, I don't know what I need to do next. Uh, because I'm distracted, but let me look at these modes. But there's obviously a brain chemical thing that, like, when it comes to that, that, like, how do people, when they're feeling this, this, they're they're constantly being distracted, and a to-do list that tells them what they should do next, regardless of how they look at it, isn't enough. Like, what what should they do to kind of prevent that and, and mitigate that? Here's a really simple, short run answer. Mm-hmm. Always have something that is going to make you feel good that you're looking forward to. So what your distraction is telling you is, I can't work forever. I can't constantly stay upbeat about long, far away, distant goals. You need something that makes you happy in the short run. And if you don't give yourself that, then your mind rebels. So one way of looking at it is to say, I'm going to have something that I feel good about in the long run, but I'm also going to have something that I feel good about in the medium run and also something that I feel good about in the short run. Now, the problem with this feeling good about is you don't always have control over it. So you have to define this, this, I'll call it reward because that's what it is from your brain's perspective. You have to learn to focus on a reward that you have power over. Right. That's what's hard. And that's one of the things I think Charles Dukes touched on in The Power of Habit is the Q routine reward. But you're right. like that. It doesn't really dive into the you don't always have control over that element. And and I don't think it's – I think people need to understand and maybe you can shed some light on it. It's not always like you don't have immediate control over it in, in the physical sense. Like I work at a job so I can't pick the thing that I want to do. But sometimes it's, it's, it's your brain, right, that's saying, you know, I can't – I can't attach this, you know, go after this thing at a particular time. So I guess awareness is, is the key here, right? Uh, yes, but also um, uh, the habit that is widely taught is to dream about a huge faraway goal. So let's just call it singing in Carnegie Hall, okay? That, or, could, be, uh, that could be fearful for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or let's say... A trip uh, to Bali, a trip to Bali. Uh, well, a trip to Bali, you could actually control. That's true, I, I guess. Of a, of a goal that you don't have. Oh, right. Okay, so let's go back to your, your singing at Carnegie Hall. I wouldn't mind doing that. I used to I used to do comedy, so performing at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, let's well, do that let's one. say somebody has a dream of opening a restaurant, or if you have a restaurant, you dream of getting a star for the restaurant. And if you have a star, you have you dream of getting three stars. But once you get three stars, I just saw a movie on this. It was so good. The, Living The 100-Foot Journey. Oh, no, no. Nope. It was called Le Chef. Oh, yes, yes. That's on, uh, I think it's on Netflix, right? Yes, it is. Yep. Maybe, yep. maybe The 100 Foot Journey is a remake of The Chef is in French. Um, so um, if you are, if you have the three-star restaurant, you live in constant terror of losing one of your stars. So there is no huge goal that will make you happy every minute. And yet people have learned when they're feeling down to dream of some huge faraway goal. 
I don't think it works. I don't think it's a good habit. Like teachers use it like, oh, young man, you should study. Someday you'll be president. That's a recipe for misery. Mm -hmm. It's not a good strategy. A better strategy is to say, I'm not going to eat a cookie until I do the first half of my math homework. Yep. Yeah, it's the same thing I've done with uh, – so I'm working on a book right now and I – it's not a book that, that – I mean, and you've gone through this before, but the book proposal that drives me nuts. <laughs> I'd rather just write the flipping book. <laughs> but, and I can. <laughs> but, you have to, but you have to, with a book proposal, you have to generally write one. So the reward for me was to get aspects of the book proposal done and once you've reached this section of it, then you can have a beer to wrap up your day like but you have to have done that before you can you can have the beer for the day so it's something that i can control uh whether i go out to have the beer or whether i grab it from the fridge so yeah those rewards you're right you have definite control over whereas you're right being president i mean you don't i mean there are so many variables there right i mean wow well actually to be being president involves a lot of sucking up that you may not be interested in doing that too (laughs) <laughs> and the teacher didn't tell you that once they fixed that in your brain. Right. How do, how do you change the neural circuits? Like, how do you, because, I mean, that's something that happens over time. And we've, I mean, especially, you know, again, through school that happens, through your, your a place of employment. If you say, you know what, I've got this. I know when I worked at Costco, uh, they had said, you know, move out west and you'll, you'll definitely be promoted. And I believed it. So I worked hard and moved out west. And yes, it did work out, but it didn't work out right away. Uh, so, I mean, how do you how do you kind of change those pathways, those circuits, so that way you don't self-sabotage or set yourself up for, for misery more often than not? Um, well, that's what I meant about having a short run, a medium run, and a long run reward. So while you were working toward that advance that they promised you, that everything takes longer than you expect. Everything is twice as hard as you expect. Everything is frustrating. Mm-hmm. So you have to give yourself some short-run rewards. However, what are short-run rewards? We are mammals. We've inherited the brain chemistry of mammals. So, you know, food and sex are rewards. But if you're constantly going for short-run rewards that appeal to your mammal brain, you end up with things that are not really good for you in the long run. So we just talked about, um, you just mentioned cookies and beer. So I wanted to mention, because... So many people who would take hear what we said and end up with another cookie and another cookie and another cookie or another beer and another beer and another beer. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I wanted to get back to that. Yeah, please. Because <laughs> it's still early. <laughs> but yeah, no, get back because you're right. I mean, to have those kind of rewards can be detrimental if those are the consistent rewards, I guess, right? So this is the thing. Variation is what works in rewards. So after I have a beer, if I have another beer, it's not going to feel as good. And yet I have a circuit in my brain that says having a beer will make you feel good. If I have another cookie, it's not going to feel as good, but I have another circuit in my brain. So have yourself a variety of rewards. I'm only going to have one beer. I'm only going to have one cookie, one small cookie. You know, But then I'm going to give myself this other reward after the next milestone. And have a, a sort of a positive feeling toward many small rewards rather than having a tabooness toward rewards and then you finally give up and have a lot of beers or the whole box of cookies. 
Your question was, how can a person put a new circuit in their brain? So imagine that your brain is a jungle of neurons. If you are going through the jungle and you had a choice between slashing a new trail or taking a highway that's already paved, you know that slashing a new trail requires so much effort that it feels like you're not getting any, it feels like you're not getting anywhere. So it's tempting to take the highway that's already paved, even though it goes to a place that's not really where you want to go. So that's what it's like when you try to build a new pathway in your brain. The electricity in your brain flows like water in a storm. It flows where the paths are already created. And my books, all of my books explain, and lots of free resources on my website, the pathways got paved by your individual early experience as much as we all wish it weren't. And so when you try to deviate from the neural network that you've created, you feel like you're doing something wrong, even though you're doing something right, because it's like slashing a path through the rainforest. You're not getting anywhere. But if you, and if you come back to that path the next day, the undergrowth has grown over and it's just as bad. Mm -hmm. So I say you have to slash the same trail 45 days in a row without fail, and then a trail will establish. At that point, it would be like a little path through a forest, but at least it's an established trail. It's not a paved highway, but at least you start to feel normal with the new behavior. And that stuff can relate to a variety of things. Exercise. If you're terrible, I mean, if you're terrible at exercise or you're trying to build a new habit to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is it is hard because... The, and it's also hard for people who are trying to tackle things that they want to get done because they have the old way or the way that everyone else says that they should do something based on the culture that they're in. And sometimes it's a work culture. Sometimes it's a it's a home culture, whatever. Uh, to make that different way of operating, for lack of a better term, it's not – And it, it, most people say, well, how do, you, how do you work like that? Or how do you it's, – it's not something that just – happened like that yes and you don't have to make it difficult either you we were talking about the small and short like you don't have to make it okay like adopt this crazy complicated system or approach to make it work you can start like you said really small and say okay i'm going to do this little thing consistently and then layer it probably afterwards right so build upon it right yes but the other aspect of this because you said people say to you well how do you get to be that way The way you already are, you got to be that way, just the chance, accumulation of chance experiences. But now that you're wired that way, it feels normal. So when you change, it's going to not feel normal. So you want to build a new thought habit. So it's not just behavior habits. That's more visible. Did I exercise? But a thought habit is a little harder. So you got to put it into words. And that's why there's these like affirmation things that are sort of so unrealistic. But a lot of our thought habits are um, unrealistic expectations or negative expectations. So if you want to have a positive thought habit, but not so positive, like I'm going to sing in the Carnegie Hall or I'm going to have a three-star restaurant, but I'm going to feel good about what I just did rather than I did something and I'm going to think, oh, my God, it probably isn't going to work. So that you asked me about the brain chemicals, and so this is the perfect way. Okay, so the ones that I talk about in my book, and this is all explained in lots of free resources at the Inner Mammal Institute, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphin. So dopamine is the most uh, amazing one. 
So dopamine is released when you see a way to meet a need. So imagine if you're a lion and lions, like sometimes they don't kill anything for a week and they're starving. If they ran after everything they saw, they would run out of energy and starve to death. So they make very careful decisions about where they invest their energy. And that's what we're doing every minute of every day. We're making careful decisions about when to release our energy. And I'm not going to release it unless I see something that meets my needs that I think I can get. And when those happen, I have this go for it feeling and that's dopamine. So it's when your brain sees something that says you can get that and it will meet your needs. Now, how does it know that is based on the circuits that you built from your individual life experience. And it's not telling you that in words. So it's like, what needs does he think? You know, Mm -hmm. it, it, it could be something that's not so obvious. And the perception of like, I can get that is what releases the reserve tank of energy so that the lion sees the gazelle that it can get and it runs for it and it feels good. So in the human world, we think about it as seeing the uh, finish line in a marathon. So I have a quick question about dopamine before we move on. Let's talk about social media really quickly because yes. I know, <laughs> or the or the or the email. Like if I can get to inbox zero because email, I can do that really quickly, or I can check that email, or I can do that social. Those, I mean, those they do release a little bit of dopamine, right? Each one of those, like so. What I struggle with when I'm dealing with people is they say, "Well, I'm really productive because I got through 360 emails today." I'm like, "Well, what work did you do?" Well, I got through 300, but what other bigger work did you? F- so there's a danger there too, right? Like you have to have a good relationship and maybe make more careful decisions or more – well, I mean you explain it because that's that's something that frustrates me and I fall victim to it too. It's easy to go on Facebook and post a Facebook update and go, look, got that done or check email and go, look, I went through 30 emails and got that done. I don't know what I did but I answered 30 emails or I got my inbox to zero. So Yeah. Well, for, um first, when you're interacting with the flood of inputs – um, there's two other brain chemicals that are really involved. So I shouldn't say that it's just dopamine. So oxytocin is a feeling that um, allows mammals to feel safe in a herd. So evolution builds a brain in layers rather than starting with a blank sheet of paper. So reptiles don't tolerate other reptiles, but mammals tolerate the presence of other mammals because they need that to avoid um, having their babies eaten by wolves. So mammals stick to safety in numbers, but what happens when you're in a group is then you're competing for food and mating opportunity. So what allows me to tolerate these people in my group so that I can not go off and be eaten by a lion is oxytocin. So oxytocin is the feeling of trust, which we would call it in everyday life. In the state of nature, touch and trust go together because if I let you close enough to touch me, I better really trust you. Otherwise, like in the ape world, another ape might bite your finger off if you if he's not safe to trust. So when we are around people we don't trust, we get a bad feeling. When we're alone, we feel like, oh, a, a lion might eat me because, I mean, not consciously, but we like, 
our brain is designed to have constant reminders that we're not alone, that we have the safety of the herd. And that's one thing you get when you check your email or social media. Right, right. Now, moving on to serotonin. Now, Mm -hmm. this is very uncomfortable and mind-blowing, and it's not widely accepted in academia. But in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of research on serotonin that was stimulated as a sort of a one-up feeling, as a social dominance thing. And now it's become taboo in academia to acknowledge that in academia, the worldview is that um, happiness and harmony and equality is the state of nature and all conflict is caused by capitalism. And none of the research in academia can, can conflict with that overarching worldview. But the fact is that animals have constant conflict. They're constantly competing. They will steal food from their children. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes they don't, but most of the time they do. So some nature shows will only pick out the, the nice, cute moment. But if you want to see the rest of the story, David Attenborough is my hero. He's fabulous. Watch all of his stuff. Now, um, serotonin is what tells you, I see a banana. If I go toward that banana, you might bite me. But I'm bigger than you, so I'm going to go for it anyway. Now we think, oh, well, that's not nice. But that's the brain we've inherited. So instead of saying we shouldn't think that way, we can value ourselves for how hard we're working to restrain that so that we can also cooperate, work with others to meet long-term goals. But we're also trying to stimulate our serotonin, and they are too. And this is why life is frustrating. Let's talk about endorphin then. That's the last of the chemicals, right? Yes. So endorphin is the one that sort of got this whole awareness of brain chemistry started. But unfortunately, it's not the one that's going to make us happy. You've probably heard about it as runner's high. But it's also chemically equivalent to morphine, heroin, opium, um, what other? Um, Not cocaine. Cocaine is dopamine. Right. Um, (laughs) Uh, so endorphin is designed for emergencies. So on those fabulous David Attenborough videos, you see the lion gets his, his teeth into the, the zebra and the zebra's flesh is ripped off and the zebra could still run to save its life because endorphin is released. It masks pain for 15 minutes. It's only triggered by real physical pain and it's it's, it's only for 15 minutes because after that, you're meant to protect your injuries. It's only for 15 minutes that you're meant to have oblivion or euphoria is from the human perception to mask the pain. So if a caveman had to run to uh, run on a broken leg, to walk on a broken leg, to get safety, but then you've got to stop walking on the broken leg and, and nurture your wounds. Now, when I said it's only triggered by pain, so if I exercise the same way every day, it's not triggered. I have to exercise more to trigger it. And many people are out there, you know, sort of peddling endorphin feel-good stuff. I, it's not healthy to constantly give yourself pain. Now, two exceptions are laughing and crying, but only real belly laughs and only a little bit for a tiny minute because you're sort of jingling your innards in a new way and crying needless to say not a good habit right (laughs) so (laughs) 
you might get a ton, you get a little bit of endorphin, but a lot of cortisol. Now, actually, this is a good question about the crying. Like, some, not all crying is 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 sad crying, though, right? You know, I mean, you've got you've got I've got children. There are times where I sit and I'm like just thinking about what they've done and how awesome our lives is, and I start to you know well up, and I'm like, why am I like? I mean, I know now why. It's because it's tears of joy or, or satisfaction. But, you know, initially you're like, this is weird. I should be like beaming. And why am I? Oh, this is dumb. So like, what's what's that? Is that, is that still endorphin? So um, I think, well, at first it's release of fear. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, we are born the most vulnerable creatures on earth. We are born in fear because we cannot like a, a, a giraffe can run with a herd a day after it's born. Right. An elephant can walk before it eats because it has to walk to the nipple. So humans are the most vulnerable creature on earth and we're vulnerable for so long we can't meet our own needs and we're totally dependent. And then in that dependence, we realize that others are not always there for us. We have to please them. So we build a lot of fear circuits, which are sort of realistic because you do need to restrain yourself in order to get along with others. So we have this constant tension. And when you have a positive feeling with your kids, it's releasing some inner child fear of your own. That's like, ah, wow, now I'm safe. And in the state of nature, escaping a threat is the highest reward there is. So that's some sense of, wow, my, my herd, like I was lost, but now I got back to the herd and I'm safe. And it's like, ah, feels great. So how do people, just before we wrap up, I mean, we've talked about a lot of, of, of things you do. What are some of the strategies beyond what we've talked about? We've talked about a couple strategies, but I know you've got a new book coming out, right? You've got a new book coming out. Uh, it is called, you, want to, you tell us about the new book because uh, that way, uh, and it's coming out in December, right? Yes, um, but you could pre-order it now on Amazon. Okay. It's called Habits of a Happy Brain, Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin, and Endorphin. Since we have limited time, so you asked about... Um, Just a couple of other things that people can do. I mean, we've talked about the 45 days of building new neural circuits and things like that and how to have small and medium and long-range rewards But that, that, that will... And obviously make them variable. But what are a couple other things that people can do when, when – because they're going to need another – at least one other strategy for when those things don't – when they – you know, because you know how the brain goes. Like, ah, I tried that. It didn't work. Let's try something else. So what's another strategy somebody can take on to try to help uh, have that happy, happy brain? So um, the book talks a lot about what I call droop. Um, droop is that moment when a happy chemical search ends – And it's like, oh, I feel great. I feel great. It's over. Mm. (laughs) So that one moment that it's over, like the funnest example is like, let's not again, not to advocate this, but let's say you decide you're going to go out for a donut and you find a parking spot near the donut shop. It's like, oh, and you feel great. And you get to the donut shop and you have the first bite. So by the time of like the fifth bite of the donut, your brain is already 
starting to think about the next thing and you're not even aware that you're eating the donut. Yeah, it's the same thing that happens to me when I go to like, we talked about this before, is that, you know, you try like In-N-Out Burger, which we don't have up here. And you're like, oh, it's In-N-Out. Oh, good. There's no lineup. Oh, I get to order animal style. And then you have it and you're eating. You're like, eh. <laughs> Exactly. So um, to be prepared for that, if you sort of think about it as a conveyor belt, and um, the book Flow talks about this a little too. Yep. If there's things that are so far away, if I put my basketball hoop so high that I could never make a basket, I'm not going to enjoy shooting hoops. If I put it so low that I can never make a basket, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. If I put it so low that I can make a basket without effort, I'm not going to feel good. So I need to have it at a middle height, which is a realistic challenge. But whatever that realistic height is, is going to change constantly as my skills evolve. Mm -hmm. And of course, needless to say, as my skills evolve, maybe basketball won't be so much fun. So think about it as a conveyor belt that I'm constantly looking for new things that challenge me. But when I first take on those new things, they're not going to be so much fun because they're going to be so hard that I'm going to think, oh, this is never going to be fun. And when I pick up my old fun things, they may not be fun because I've gotten it's gotten too routine. So it's the willingness to constantly have this conveyor belt and say, you know what, I'm going to devote a few minutes to that new thing that um, it's a difficult climb. So always have some things that are the very steep climb, some things that are predictable. I know that I could do this for a few minutes and feel good. So this I'll, I'll schedule this after I do my tough challenge. Mm -hmm. And then give yourself permission to let go of the thing that doesn't make you feel good anymore, which is often hard because maybe your social connections are built around it or yeah. you have a fear of, well, what would I be without that thing? Yeah, saying no can often cause people you to alienate yourself or isolate yourself from the hurt of it too, right? Like, you know, if, if I'm not going to jump onto, and again, I'll be very rudimentary. If I'm not going to jump onto Facebook right now, what am I missing? That's another thing, a big fear of me. Like, I'm going to, I'm not going to get to see what all my friends are doing. And friends can be a very loose term, obviously, in today's day and age with Facebook, uh, you know, uh, or if I don't check email for the next hour, what am I going to like? Am I going to put myself in a position of being behind? So I think, yeah, yeah. creating a new relationship with that stuff. Yeah. But it's not what your friends are doing. It's really what your mammal right. brain is saying. You're alone. You're vulnerable to attack. Mm -hmm. And every time you remind your brain that you have a herd, you feel safe, but it's not getting you anywhere. And so what I always think about is let's say you're a gazelle and you see a fabulous patch of green grass over there. But in order to go for it, you're exposed to a lion because you're away from the herd. But if you stay with the herd, then you're all fighting over the same little patch of brown grass. So this gazelle is constantly making the awful decision between conflict over boring brown grass and going out for the green grass where you might get eaten by a lion every minute. So when you have that frustrating situation, Instead of saying, wow, something's wrong with my life, why is everything so bad, is to say, you know, this is the tough call that my brain evolved to tackle. Everyone's life is like this. We all have tough calls, but my brain is inherited from survival. Uh, my, my brain is inherited from survivors, and this is the challenge that my brain evolved to handle. Loretta, where can people find your work and find your books? And I mean, the, the site is... 
got a lot of free resources too. So why don't we send them there and where they can, where else they can find you on the internet when when they so that they. But don't get too distracted by this stuff, everybody. Right? Yeah, you know, unless it's, it's unless it's meeting a, a significant need. Anyways, go ahead, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, InnerMammalInstitute.org. Okay, InnerMammalInstitute.org. It has um, very short free explanations, but the big thing is you could sign up for my free five-day happy chemical jumpstart. You'll see the opt-in right at the top and right right under the cute animal pictures and some painful animal pictures too because pain is part of life. And um, you'll get an email a day for five days that explains all of this. And then if you want to hear it in video form, I have a YouTube, a very short training on YouTube called Your Ups and Downs Are Natural and Also Learned. And that too is explained at intermammalinstitute.org plus all my books. And you're on, you're on Twitter too. You are on the Twitter. Yes, I'm on Twitter, um, Intermammal. And um, Intermammal Institute, and it's at Intermammal. And I also have a closed Facebook group. Well, I have, um, I'm on Facebook, um, Loretta Bruning, PhD, but also the Intermammal Institute has a closed Facebook group that you're welcome to join and um, discuss this with us. Join the herd. Join the herd because a lot of people. <laughs> Loretta, thank you so much for being on the show today. And your new book is coming out in December. It is called Habits of a Happy Brain Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin, and Endorphin Levels. Thanks so much for joining us on the Productivities Podcast today. Thank you. It's a great idea. There you have it. I, I had a great time. Thanks to uh, Dr. Brenning for joining me this week on the show. Um, again, I love diving into the science-backed and the science-based science stuff when it comes to, uh, you know, how we operate, both whether it's related to productivity or life or what, because all that stuff is, is so important. And once you understand that stuff and have that awareness, then you can really make uh, conscious choices, can carefully considered choices, uh, whether you want to go out and, you know, eat the brown grass or eat the green grass and run the risk of getting eaten by the lion, let's say. So uh, if you want to hear the interview in its entirety, because there were some elements of this discussion that were uh, made only for Patreon supporters, head over to patreon.com slash productivityist and you can sign up to support the podcast today. Until next week, stop guessing, start going, keep moving things forward. And thanks again for joining me. We'll see you next week. 